G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. I always thought when I was younger that prayer was a way to get God to do what I wanted Him to do. The Bible portrays prayer in an entirely different light. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and thanks for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff is starting with the parable in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. We'll then hear about the high cost of a prayerless life. Pastor Jeff will share advice given in the Bible about how to approach God in our prayer lives. Let's get into the message now on Today with Jeff Bynes. Turn over to Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Now, here's what we've been doing. We're in a series called Face to Face. And I've been asking you a pretty important question that if God somehow could sit across the table from you, one-on-one, face-to-face, what would he say to you at this juncture in your life? Now, some of you are saying, Jeff, you don't know me well enough. There's no way you can know that. Agreed. But there are some things that are repeated so often in Scripture, I'm assuming that most of us struggle with it, and Jesus knows that. So I've tried to bring those to light. And along that same vein, and keeping in line with that, face-to-face, what would God say to you? I have a question to ask you this morning. I want you to remember you're in church. You should always tell the truth, I know, but especially in church. And if you wonder why I say that, read Acts chapter 5 sometimes. You'll know why I say that. How many of you would say that you just simply spend far too much time in prayer? I mean, you say, Jeff, I just pray way too much. I've got holes in my pants or uh, where I kneel down. My knees are sore. The floor is worn beside my bed. Anybody can say that you spend far too much time in prayer. None of us. And I believe that God would take your head in his hands and he'd look you in the eye. And as we peel back these layers, he would say to you, do you know what you're missing because of a life that is void of prayer. See, prayer isn't a legalistic thing that if you don't do it, God's going to come down and get you or take your name out of the book of life. That's not how it works. Prayer is an opportunity. And God's not going to punish you if you don't. But God would say to you, here is an opportunity for you. Do you know what you're robbing yourself of that is irreplaceable? Do you know how your demeanor is affected? Do you know what you're missing? Do you know the high price you're paying because of a life that is void of prayer? And I think that all of us would have to be honest 
that the primary issue has to do with the way we perceive prayer. We grew up thinking it's this way and nobody ever told us any differently because for most of us, we think prayer is this. It's a chance for me to talk to God and get him on my side to do for me what I need him to do. But I'm about to take you to a passage that I discovered very early in my life and I'm thankful. Luke chapter 11, verse five. And you're gonna learn that prayer is so much more than that. And you're gonna learn that there's an incredibly high cost to a life of prayerlessness that none of us want to pay. So here we go. Now we got to do the work in the text first. That's why you come to to hear sermons, right? Not just funny stories. You want to hear what the Bible says. So we got to be honest to the text and then we'll make the application. So here we go. Verse five. Then he said, this is Jesus. Suppose one of you has a friend. He goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, In Jesus' day, hospitality was at a premium when you travel from city to city. There are no McDonald's, no Golden Arches, no Taco Bells, no Pizza Huts. You depended on the hospitality of people in village from village for mere survival. And there were three unwritten rules of hospitality in first century. First, the hour was irrelevant. If you came at midnight, the rule of hospitality said that the host was required to get up and cook you a meal even if he didn't want to. And the guest was required to eat what you made, even if he wasn't hungry. Second rule of hospitality, if a stranger came to somebody's house, then that stranger was not only a guest of the host, that particular house in the village, but he was a guest of the entire village. So whatever the local host did would represent the honor of the whole community. Third rule of hospitality, reputation was paramount. We have writings or copies of writings in the first century where they were like blue ribbon events. You wanted your village to be known as the most hospitable in the land. So you wanted people to say, hey, you know that little village over there, sidecar? I know it's a little hole in the wall, but they got the best cheeseburgers around. That's what you wanted. You wanted to win the Blue Ribbon Award for hospitality. Now, what Jesus states next is simple, but it would have been incredibly embarrassing. He says that the host says, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, that doesn't literally mean he has no food in the house. He's not starving. And I'll help you understand this. The same dynamic happens when my wife walks into her closet on a Sunday and in the midst of all these clothes and says, I have absolutely nothing to wear. Now, what does she mean by that? She doesn't mean that I can only go to this party if clothing is optional. Or, or she doesn't mean that uh, I have nothing with which to cover my body. Now, what does she mean when she says that? The dynamic. And I've I've translated a little bit and I began to learn. I think I've shared this before. What she really means is I have nothing in this closet to wear that will not make me look like a fashion challenged hag married to a cheapskate. That's what she means. Okay. So guys, now, you know, let me translate that for you. The, the, The host is saying, I have nothing in the house that would honor our community and uphold its reputation. So I need something from you. And he asked in the parable for three loaves of bread. Now look up, understand something. Bread in the first century is a little different than our bread. There were three types of grain from lower to higher. And bread in the first century, they didn't have knives, forks, and spoons. They would take the higher grain, they would roll it and then dip it in the vegetables, the meat and everything and eat like that with their hands. Now over in Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, remember Lazarus, the poor man is waiting on the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. That's the lowest grain, barley. And that bread you take and you cleanse your hands of the, 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 the grease and the grime, the dirt after you've eaten and you throw that bread on the ground to be thrown out as garbage. And that's what the poor man Lazarus was waiting for. 
So basically the neighbor goes over to his other neighbor and he says, in, in modern day lingo, he says, I need some paper plates. I just need, but he's expecting, make no mistake, he's asking for the minimum, but he's expecting the neighbor to uphold the reputation of the village. So he's expecting so much more. Whatever the neighbor would give him that would honor the reputation and prevent shame from coming on the community. And by the way, if you are this person, if you're the house that the neighbor who doesn't have food, that has a guest that's arrived at midnight, and you're the one he chooses to ask for food, this is going to be an honor for you. Because all the village is going to be listening in. They know there's a guest in town. And they're all going to be watching. And you're honored that he would come to you because he thinks you have the best steak and fried chicken in the village. So he wants you to help him feed this very special guest. You with me so far? Now look at what happens in verse 7. Jesus says, imagine this happens. The one inside answers and says, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. In other words, he says, we've already bolted the door. The kids are in bed. I'll have to walk over them. I might wake them up, the little one. And if we wake her up, she'll never go back to sleep. The dogs are all asleep on the first floor. I might kick one of them. They'll start barking. So I'm going to just have to say no. And the way it's written in the original language, Jesus says, imagine this happens as if it's a ludicrous idea. Because it would have been in the first century. Absolutely ludicrous. They would have been laughing at this parable. What? No way he's going to say he's not going to get up. He's going to run down to the door and help. Jesus says in the original language, I know this is ludicrous, but just for the sake of argumentation, he doesn't come down to help. What do you do? And Jesus is going to say this, just stand there. And every five minutes, just keep knocking. Every few minutes, right when you think he's back asleep, just keep knocking. Now, Robin and I have moved up to Upland and we've noticed that a few doors down there is a hound dog. And when the owners leave, the hound howls. And we're trying to sit outside at night and I'm trying to work on my message out there in the nice cool breeze looking up at the mountains. And every three or four minutes, oh, and it just goes on and on and on. That's what Jesus is saying right here. That if you just, every five minutes when he's asleep, he'll say to his wife, or about to be asleep, honey, would you look down there? Is he still there? Yeah, honey, he's still there. Okay, then get up, go down there because he's never going to leave until we give him what he wants. Jesus says in verse eight, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, or another way of, it could be persistence here, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, is there anybody in the room that could see why I would struggle a little bit with this parable? Is the parable trying to tell me that God is a reluctant God and doesn't really want to give me what I want, but if I beg long enough, he'll grow weary and give me what I ask for? Is the parable trying to tell me that I got to wear God down, that he wearies of my pesky little voice after a season? And finally he says, you bunch of whiners here. Is that God? I got a friend in New Zealand that has a very wealthy friend that says he lives by this motto. Not as most of us, a friend in need is a friend indeed, right? His motto is this, a friend in need is a pest. Is that how God sees us as pests? And finally, he just gives in and says, here, take what you want. Is the message about boldness? Because he says, because of his boldness. I mean, I had a lady once tell me in my church in New Zealand, Pastor Jeff, the problem is you don't pray right around here. You got to go to God and you got to demand what you want. I just kind of thought of that the father and son analogy, what my dad would have done when I was a little boy and I would have gone to my dad and said, dad, I demand a bicycle. I think he would have spanked me with the handlebars. I think that's what he would have done. But I don't see God that way. What's happening here then? Now stay with me. We're in parables. We move from the light 
to the heavy. And what Jesus is doing, he's contrasting the light, the often comical nature in which you and I deal with each other, with the heavy, the way a good and loving, perfect God wants to deal with us. So Jesus is saying, the light part of the parable, when you go to your neighbor, everything's against you. It's night, it's dark outside, he's asleep, the doors are locked, he may not even like you, and yet you know he'll get up and give you what you want. If nothing else, by mere persistence, you'll wear him down and he will give you that for which you ask. Jesus is contrasting the light in the parable with the heavy. And he's saying, if that's the case with your neighbor, how much more then should you persist with God who's never asleep, who's always attentive to your needs and wants to give you every good thing? And he goes on, he says, so ask and keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock and the door will be open. That's what you do with reluctant prone people, grudge filled people. Why wouldn't you do it that much more with a God who's always attentive, who loves you and wants to give you every good thing? Verse 11, let's deal with the text now. He says, you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, would you give him a snake? And the word for fish there is the word for barbut, which is an ill-like creature in the Sea of Galilee, five feet long, completely inedible. Would you give your son, if he was hungry, dad, I need some fish, and you'd give him a barbut? You'd give him this kind of creature out of the Sea of Galilee? No, you wouldn't. If he asked you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? A scorpion in the first century, when it's rolled up, they believe look like an egg. So your son asks you for an egg and you give him, here, son, here's an egg. He takes one bite, a stinger. Would you do that? That's not where the heart of the father resides. And Matthew adds a third one. He says, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? First century, the way they baked bread looked just like a smooth rock. Here, son, have some bread. No, that's not what the father is like. He says then in verse 13, if then you are evil, now that hurts, it's not the whole truth about me, but moving from the light to the heavy compared with God, we are evil. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now think about that just for a moment. It's not the whole truth about me, but I am evil compared to God, right? Self-centered, vindictive, amazingly petty. I know I'm the only one, none of you are like that. But even I, as an earthly father, I know the joy of staying up till 4 a.m. on Christmas morning, putting a bicycle together for my daughter, and there's some pathological liar at the factory who wrote easy assembly <laughs> on a box. I know the joy of weathering the storm and seeing the look on her face as a little girl when she gets her bicycle. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you, Jeff, in your fallenness, and your imperfection, know the joy of giving a good gift to your children. How much more then does the father know what is truly good and is more than willing, wants to, longs to give every good thing to every child of his? Now, I want you to say this with me. God wants to give me every good thing. Let's say it together. God wants to give me every good thing. Say it again, young people, you too now. God wants to give me every good thing. So Jesus says, whatever else you do, don't stop praying. Because if you do, if you stop praying, you're gonna begin to realize halfway through your life, there's been a high cost, a high price that you've paid for a prayerless life. And where do you see that high cost? Oh, this is beautiful. We've moved from the heavy. We've got the 40,000 foot view. God longs to give us every good thing. And now we get to go down in the trees and look around the parable. And it's there that we realize that if you have a prayerless life, there is a too high of a price to pay. Number one, you will never know God as he really is. 
Now you think about this for a moment. Imagine you go through your entire life, you call yourself a Christian, but you don't engage in prayer. Therefore, you never know what this God you worship is really like. You never know what it is to be guided by him, led by him. You never know what it feels like to be comforted by him in his way during a difficult time. You never know what it is to hear his voice your entire life. Now, now I love the story of the Indian man in India, of course, uh, who has a little boy and he goes in every night and there are two idols on the mantle of his home and he kneels down and he prays and there's morning and night rituals. There are these fruit offerings and chanting of the hymns and then there's a prayer to these idols for guidance, for direction, for blessings on the home. The little boy sees this and asks his dad a fair question. Dad, why do you do this? Why do you pray to these idols? Why are you talking to them? They can't speak. They can't move. They can't do anything. They're lifeless. They're powerless. The father stands up and says, that's blasphemy. You'll bring curses on our home. Away with you. And of course, the son goes away, but then the dad goes on a little vacation. While he's away, the little boy takes a stick and smashes one of the idols and then places the stick on the other idol's hands. When, when dad comes back, dad comes back and he sees the devastation. He says, who's done this? This is blasphemy. You'll bring cursing on our home. And the little boy comes in and says, well, father, isn't it obvious? The one idol smashed the other idol. And his dad said, don't be silly. These idols can't speak. They can't move. They can't do anything. They're lifeless and powerless. And the little boy says, that's what I've been trying to say. (laughs) By Jesus telling this parable, he's moving us from a distant way out there, kind of God that's inactive to a God that is relational. And in the details of the parable, here's what you see, that a relationship with God is built just like any other relationship between you and me. And you see it demonstrated in the bread, in simplicity, and in the neighbor who stays at the door, persistence. Every relationship is built with those two things, simplicity and persistence. Can you say those two words now with me? Simplicity, persistence. What does that mean? Well, let me illustrate simplicity first. I got my eye on some of you young men. My daughter's gotten a little older now. I'm watching you. Yeah, you think I don't see you, I see you. And uh, I know some of you young men are thinking about dating my daughter. I just wanna help you out a little bit. Here's how the process goes. And I mentioned this last week, I just wanted to get this off my chest. The process is you're gonna first start trying to get the nerve to talk to her. You're gonna chit chat, make conversation. You're gonna chat about everything, the weather, school. You're just gonna find any kind of topic that you can break the ice with. You're gonna then start trying to maybe take some walks with her, maybe during first and third service because she attends this service and she is in the room. And so I just want you to know I'm watching you too. And you'll try to take walks with her around the building while I'm preaching first, third service because you know you're safe. You know I can't find you. (laughs) You'll ask her maybe to go to the movies. Maybe she'll go. Hang out after church. You'll keep walking, you'll keep talking, and you'll talk to her on the cell phone at night, and the voice you hear in the background that says, Sion, get off the phone, that's my voice, I just want you to know. Why are you gonna do that? You're gonna do that because you wanna get to know her. You wanna know what she's really like, what she likes and dislikes. You wanna know who it is that she really is. And I just wanna save a lot of you young men some time. I'll tell you who she is. She's a cold-blooded killer. I live with her, I know what she's like. I just want, I'm just saying. And I, I wanna tell you, it really doesn't matter what she's like anyway, it matters what I'm like. I'm her father and I'm a, I wanna tell you, I'm a lean, green, torture machine, that's who I am. 
So back off. No, no, seriously, just for a minute. Relationship. It grows through persistence. Time invested, right? Right? Every time, if you're dating my daughter, that you leave her, there's a small part of her that goes with you. Persistence. Relationship. You keep coming back. God knows that. And then simplicity. Now the neighbor asked his neighbor for something that's simple, but he really wants more. So he's not straight up. He's not dropped his guard. He's asking for something that he really doesn't want. He wants something far beyond his request. Now stay with me on this. You think about Jonah for a moment. God told Jonah, one of my favorite stories, four little chapters, the Old Testament. God told Jonah to go preach where? Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go preach in Nineveh because that would be like asking Dodger fans to preach the gospel to angel fans. And there's a part of Dodger fans that don't want angel fans to be saved and go to heaven. And so, so, so Jonah resists. And because he resists, he's swallowed by a big fish. And then he finally preaches to Nineveh and he stands up and tells them, God is going to judge this city and is going to destroy you. But he says it under his breath. It's kind of like, and I'm glad, and I hope I'm there to see it. That's his attitude. He goes and he preaches. But the problem is they believe and they repent. And a great revival strikes out in Nineveh. Do you think Jonah's happy about that? No. You think he thanks God for his goodness and mercy? No. Does he pray for the Ninevites' spiritual growth? No. Do you know what he does instead? But this was displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry that God didn't destroy Nineveh. Nice guy, huh? Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarsus at the beginning. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. That sounds like my kind of God. Now, oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better to die than to live. Isn't that amazing? I just want to die. And after that, After this amazing campaign, Jonah goes up on the hillside. He sits down. He sulks. He wants to die. Just kill me, God. Kill me now. And to make matters worse, the sun comes out, and it's hot. Now, this is interesting. You know what God does? He causes instantaneously a vine to grow up over Jonah's head to give him shade. Do you think God could have dealt with Jonah? could have said a lot of things to him right now, but instead he meets Jonah right where he is. You're complaining about shade? Let me send you some shade. And while Jonah is watching and waiting to see if God's either going to destroy the Ninevites or him or both or neither, he gets the shade. God sends him comfort. And then you know what happens? God sends a worm. And the worm eats the vine. And the vine withers and the vine dies. And now Jonah wants to die again. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on his head or the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. What's your problem? This is Jonah at prayer. Think about it. Isn't it amazing? He's talking to God about shade. He's asking God to die because he has no shade. He could move. There are other trees, but no, he prefers just to die. Get over with it. No shade. The vine is gone. Listen to Jonah. I like the vine. The worm came. I hate that worm. And now I just want to die. Here's what's amazing to me in the passage, that God is quite willing to engage Jonah in conversation about shade. I love that. You come to God, you wait, you're spiritual, you're never gonna pray. 
You wait till your motivations are correct. You're never going to pray. You come to God with who you are. You lay it out and you say, God, I'm mad at you that I didn't get that job. I'm angry with you that I'm suffering economically speaking. And I'm not so happy about you or with you about my relationships either right now. My children, what's wrong with you? You come to God like that in simplicity and persistence and things start to happen in your life. Well, we're only partway through this message on Today with Jeff Vines, but next time we'll hear the rest. It's all about prayer, communicating with God, and what life would be without it. You come in honesty, God moves you to where you need to be. But if you never come in honesty, God can't move you. And if you never talk to God, where's the activity in your life? Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.